Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the greatest minds in immersive entertainment create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. This week in the interview, we talk with two seasoned immersive performers, Amber Lawson and Eric Abbott Maine. One whose principal experience comes from immersive dance in New York City and the other from interactive acting in Los Angeles. Their professional backgrounds couldn't be more different, which makes the similarities in their tactics and strategies as immersive performers even more striking. We discuss how they invite their audiences into the world of an experience, contrast the disciplines of immersive dance and immersive acting, and finally, explore the mercurial and beautiful experience of performing immersive art both for and with an audience. Before we jump into guest and experience introductions, I want to say a brief thank you to Amber for making this interview happen. Amber and Eric met as performing arts students at Eastern Michigan University. Quite coincidentally, they both moved on to forge prolific careers in immersive entertainment. Amber connected me with Eric and helped in setting up this conversation. We'll start this week by first introducing our guests. Amber Lawson is the Los Angeles Troupe Director for American Immersion Theater, or AIT for short. Amber has helped grow AIT from its early days as a single immersive acting troupe to the nationwide network of skilled immersive performers it has become. Amber both performs and trains professional immersive actors to perform in a range of immersive experiences, such as interactive murder mysteries, mock paparazzi, princess parties, and superhero parties. She specializes in world building through interaction and making guests the stars of the show. Eric Abbott Maine is best known in the immersive community for his role as Macbeth in the industry-defining experience Sleep No More. Eric has worked with both of New York's two most prominent immersive experience companies, Punch Trunk, again as a performer in Sleep No More between 2012 and 2019, and Third Rail Projects, originating the role of Dad in the show The Grand Paradise. With this experience, Eric founded the New York-based dance group Boy Friday Company and currently splits time between his work as director of Boy Friday Company and his new position as visiting professor at Indiana University. And now, to explain this week's featured experiences... Though the interview mostly focuses on the discipline of immersive performance, I think it'll still be helpful to summarize the immersive productions that are the foundation of Eric and Amber's experience as performers. So let's start with Sleep No More. For those of you who are not familiar, Sleep No More is described as Shakespeare's classic Scottish tragedy through the lens of suspenseful film noir. The story is played out in simultaneously performed scenes spread through five floors of intricate and interconnected sets. As a guest, you can freely explore the set and follow actors as they silently dance through the epic story of Macbeth. Sleep No More is likely the best-known immersive experience in the U.S. and has inspired a generation of immersive creators. The show can be found in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood, has a runtime of up to three hours, and can be attended in a group, but is best experienced individually. American Immersion Theater's Murder Mystery Party is an interactive game where guests work in teams to find the killer hiding in their midst. 
Trained actors interact with the guests and guide the story while you examine evidence, bribe other guests for clues, and piece together motive, means, and opportunity. AIT's murder mystery parties accommodate several different themes, each its own game set in its own colorful and comedic world. These shows can be booked privately or publicly throughout the U.S. or during quarantine, enjoyed online as a Zoom-based multimedia game. They have a runtime of approximately two hours and are best enjoyed with a group. Stick around after the interview for this week's immersive community briefing, where we discuss the Virtual Being Summit, another event, this immersive globe, and finally, the Underpresents Tempest. This week, the Immersion Nation podcast is brought to you by none other than Immersion Nation's Experience Directory, a great resource to find immersive experiences for your adventuring enjoyment. This includes a multitude of remote and digital experiences to be enjoyed from the safety of your own home. Typically, immersive entertainment is almost exclusively an in-person medium. Thus, enjoying new immersive adventures often requires a plane ticket in addition to a ticket to the experience. But because in-person is a little problematic right now, Many of the most brilliant immersive creators are producing interactive work to be enjoyed via Zoom, phone, text, social media, or a combination thereof. So, if you're in the mood for a little intrigue or excitement, go check out the Find Experiences for Quarantine page on our website, ImmersionNation.com. I'm super curious about the contrast of both of you as different kinds of performers because the things that you guys are deploying professionally on a day-to-day basis in performance are so very different in a lot of ways, even in vocal cadence. I feel like you guys are kind of fire and ice in a really (laughs) cool way. Yeah. And so I'm very soft-spoken. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and of course, Amber's bread and butter is, you know, going in and putting out enough vocal, vocal amplitude to be able to grab the room. So it makes, it makes complete sense. And I remember, I remember that from when we, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Eric. I am a mouse. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of really interesting dynamic on this particular um, podcast because you have, I don't know, immersion, immersion theater and dance is such like a bleeding edge concept, right? So we're, we're on that bleeding edge. We're beyond the cutting edge of what's going on and what's happening. um, That's new and innovative and movement and in theater. And what Eric's done in the immersive world, because I've been able to see the show that he's in, which is absolutely brilliant, is a completely different take of the way to use the world, the word immersion than what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I, and I love how widespread the whole concept is. I think it's really unique how much there is before you hit the limits of what like immersive world is. Okay, so maybe that's actually a really excellent place to start in what are your guys' thoughts respectively on the similarities because the differences between immersive dance and socially interactive immersive are multitude without a doubt. But where in your way of thinking about it are the commonalities between the two that make them put them in a place where they can be categorized both as immersive? 
My initial thought is, um, what is the question being posed? What is the story trying to be told? And what medium is best to tell it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think similar to how musical theater like uses song to move into a place when, when the script isn't enough. Um, how do you move a story via dance, via text, via immersion, via anything? Mm-hmm. Um, when does it become that this has to be the medium? Because this is how, again, I'll come back to how... Um, it's all about the audience and mm-hmm. how, how they're going to perceive it, you know, and that's that's how you get your concept across. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, in terms of d- differences, it's it kind of on that same vein of like how we are just telling the story in a different way. You know, could the storyline that I am putting on on a day to day basis be told in movement? I don't think that's the proper medium because it is clue based context, you know, and those clues are based off of the suspect's choice, the way that our shows are often set up are based on audiences being a pivotal part of the show because they are actually suspects. They are characters that are so, that are almost more important to the storyline than ourselves. So it's just the medium, the way that I am as a director and an actor, the way that I am creating that arc under the world of immersion, that's so needed for us to be able to use our voice because for your average guest, they don't have a lot of experience in movement. So that's why we choose voice, because for us, it's a more approachable way to get them involved and interact for this particular storyline. And that is very different in the type of show that Eric does. I, and Eric, you can definitely speak on to the, you know, creative side of it because I was a guest. I, I was, you know, oh my God, all I wanted to do was get up and move when I was at the show. But that's not your norm for you to have all dancers in your audience. So you are using your movement to tell the story. And I personally loved one of my favorite things when seeing your show was finding clues through the movement of who you all were and what you meant to the storyline, because it is a storyline that is rather popular. People know who the characters are in Macbeth. So I was having fun, like, oh my God, where are the witches? I need to find the witches now. (laughs) You know, that was like one of my main things going into the entire evening. But I think on a really awesome similarity, which I, I don't know how this necessarily plays into Eric's creative experience working in his show, we are constantly watching body language. I think that's such a beautiful medium, like medium that I've seen in all forms of immersion movement and theater, um, social interaction engagement is as the entertainer, the fundamental properties are what, what am I receiving from my guests and how does that alter what I'm doing right now? Or how do I alter where they're headed to go down my storyline? All right. All right. So, so let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Like how, do you look and what do you look for in an audience? Say if you were just walking into a room, it's a solo performance and you have an audience that is not glued to a seat necessarily. They're ready to be part of some kind of immersive performance. What do you look for specifically in so far as kind of sizing that group of people up and figuring out how that's going to shape your performance? I have a go-to preference because I think it's such a cool challenge. And when it's successful, it is wonderful. Is I will find the broiest dude in the room. <laughs> who is like, I, this is my first theater experience. I've never done anything like this. You know, and it, it doesn't, not necessarily reading mail. It's somebody with this energy. Um, mm-hmm. My goal at the end is to invite them into this world. 
for whatever reason, if they have this, any sort of um, lasting sort of like, uh, they won't drop their guard to engage in the world, then let, let me, let me try. It's a nice challenge. And when it works, it's, it's, uh, oh, it's so satisfying. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> um, I think that is, I mean, in the parallel of Eric and I's different types of immersion work, that is such a beautiful note is the challenge, the aspect of challenge that's in the immersive world. It is. It always is a challenge because in traditional forms of theater and entertainment, you're working off of another professional. And in this particular setting, you are working off somebody that has so few tools. They have a hammer, maybe a Phillips head screwdriver. They don't have the vast amount of tools that we have at our discretion to entertain, to build a moment, to create something. Uh, maybe somebody's first artistic endeavor, you know, with I what I do. what i when i'm looking for somebody on in a show i mean we are we are actively trying to send everyone home in our experience with a story of how they were a part of the mystery um speaking specifically on the murder mystery work that i do um but when i'm trying to figure out someone who's going to be a major player in our performance i am actually looking for someone that is the middleman or the middlewoman so i'm looking for someone that isn't always the person that receives the spotlight at a party or in a friends group. There is always that person that is the life of the party, if you will. And then there's the person that's the wallflower. And this is where I'm doing a lot of reading body language. I spend a massive amount of time meeting people where they are and kind of just conversating with them and seeing, are they really tired? Are they really nervous? Are they, you know, engaging in a lot of drinking? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of players into that, but I'm trying to find someone that's the second or maybe even the third or the person that is so brilliantly talented and they almost don't know it because they are not the person that is given that spotlight in their particular circle. And I let them shine for the night. And quite often my goal, my challenge is, is to hear if I can get in that, in the room where it happens in that specific part, I love to be right next to their friends when they look at that person I chose and say, I had no idea you were this funny. Hmm. Because what I'm providing for them is I'm essentially tricking them into a staged reading. I'm tricking them into being an actor and they don't know that I've embedded a little acting class into my particular performance. So when they get up there and they say a line, they don't know it's a line. They thought they came up with it on their own. So I'm trying to allow someone who is the second or the third to be the most brilliant entertainer, even over myself. We make this con- a conscious decision. Um, I When I'm teaching it, I call it the boomerang, <laughs> where if I'm giving the spotlight to somebody else. I'm, I'm giving that gift. I'm allowing the moment to go off of me and towards somebody else. It will always come home because I was the one that cast it out. And by casting out that energy will always come back to me, which ultimately leads me in power of what's happening in the space. But by constantly giving it away, it's much more engaging and exciting to watch. Sure. I'm funny and I can sit up there and give a full stand up set, but you can see that and experience that in so many other mediums. And what we provide is allowing someone else to be that joke, to be that fun light of entertainment. That's, that's where our challenge is in our shows. Wow. I love that 
in a lot of ways the techniques that you both use to access guests um, in the course of a show are so similar in a lot of ways, but that the outcome of like what you target insofar as Amber, you were second or third or Eric, you're like the toughest nut to crack are immediately <laughs> like same tools, different target, different outcome that <laughs> that encapsulates so much of I feel like the contrast there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think that's why immersive entertainment has become so important is because we don't, as a society, we spend so much time on media now. Genuine interaction is hard to come by and we're targeting different people, which is amazing. And I think that's why it's so vastly successful is because you don't really know what you're going to get at every different immersive experience. I've gone to so many and I, I do this five days a week and I have no idea what I'm walking into or what is about to happen to me. And that is so exciting. I love that. It's a, a complete roller coaster every single time. And, and it's a different time every time I do one of my shows too. Every single show is different than the last. I've never done a show and been like, yeah, exactly. that was like this other show I did. Yes. And, and as I said before, it's like, if you go in pre-planning what's going to happen, it will not work. It will not work. Yeah. You, might, you might scratch the surface of where you're trying to go. But as far as like where it will land with an audience and how it will feel internally to you as a performer, it's just... You can't if you anticipate where how to do it and sort of negate the audience members' energy. It's it's just going to be a, a missed conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think the idea of avoiding over preparing is applicable even outside of performance in so many ways. You have to really just lean into the spontaneity, and you can you can put an outline over what you might want to do or targets you might want to hit in that. But th at the end of the day, in real life similar to immersive performance rather than any other kind of performance you really really have to accept that you're trusting yourself in a very big way when you're walking into something like that so yeah. what about when you do find yourself in a place where you want to or maybe have to try and cater to or perform with just really someone who's not feeling it I feel like oftentimes people do wind up in a position where you do in one way or the other have to contend with that and at least find a way to make that person comfortable or something of that variety. Mm -hmm. How do you guys both handle that person who's either disoriented or just not feeling particularly extroverted that day or what have you? I mean, first, I would say as a performer, you don't have to do anything. And mm -hmm. um, and that's that's both humility and power. But if you are in a situation where somebody just doesn't know the direction, like, where are we going with this? Like, I, what I read is they're very much in their head still and not releasing to the theatrical theatricality of immersive performance. So you invite them in. I mean, you just constantly invite them, give them more angles, more pathways, more roadmaps into the work. And just um, by making them feel comfortable, by, by showing that you are not threatening, at least in, in some of the shows I've been in, they think it's a haunted house or something. Like I'm going to jump out and be a ghost or something. It's I'm not that. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, on a very similar tone, I am always informing my audience of the choices they can make. You know, I'm giving them new options, new avenues. I'm always trying to meet them where they are and inform choices that would work well under their circumstance. It may be that they're in our particular shows hammered 
they might be very drunk, you know, same, and, same. and and right, and solving can, and solving. We can share stories up. later. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh my goodness, the immersive world. I would say that's a huge underlying thing. It's like I'm scared. I'm going to drink, and now I'm too drunk to handle. <laughs> you know, it might be finding an avenue that works for somebody. We have this mentality of like a party versus a show for this particular group of guests. Do they want to be seeing theater or do they want to be at a party? You know, and it's, I have to be able to, to meld to those. And I'm always finding new choices and new paths on which is technically still taking that golden road. So we're always finding a new way to get from A to B. I think From it's important where? to say too, like yeah. I'm not super familiar with your show, Amber, but yeah. we as performers are pretty, I would generalize that we are quite comfortable with being touched and mm-hmm. um, sort of like that close proximity to other humans and yeah. looking people in the eye. Yep. But uh, that's actually not to be taken for granted. Like a lot of yeah. people don't have that all the time. And so it it is quite powerful, strange, exciting, terrifying, like the gamut of emotions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so much power in eye contact because it is, I mean, again, I'm going to go keep going back to the same answer, but the more we look at a screen, the less we look into someone's soul. And so if they don't have a significant other or that dear friend that lives in the same neighborhood as them, that they get to see and get to engage and interact with eye contact. So it is, there is so much power in, and I think that is kind of what has helped our, our particular paths excel so much. You know, immersion is a niche market. It's an experience to be touched. It's an experience to be looked at, you know? But yeah, I mean, you know, just kind of dealing, going, like wrapping back to that person um, that I'm having a hard time with, or maybe they're a little bit more complicated. They have more steps, meeting them where they are, informing them of all of the different choices they could be making, because I think some people only see the bold. They think, oh, I have to be bold to be a part of this experience, which is absolutely the opposite. They can have a million different experiences. I also love to use a form of empowerment that I'll go first. You know, I always go first before I ask them to do anything if they're especially if they are challenging because they often need that example or they need the confident best friend, the woo girl, the girl on the sidelines like you got this like they need that person to try. It may be their first time ever trying anything in the world of theater or art or movement or any of it. And I engage with whatever they give me. That's one of the biggest things I try to teach fellow immersioneers is, you know, you've informed them of choices, you've empowered them. Now, what did they give you? And work with that and be totally okay with that because you may know that it could be better or more polished, but for them, it's groundbreaking. For them, it's something they've never experienced before. For them, they might be discovering between their ears something that they will never speak to you or speak on you. So just trusting, I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess I go back to this a lot too. Like immersive performers are some of the most confident entertainers I've ever met. They trust themselves in a way that I did not experience until I was a part of this company. It's beautiful how much everyone can just very quickly drop into the word of trust. I I kind of agree with that. I think I would go to classify at least those that I've worked with as uh, introverted extroverts. Yes. <laughs> they're very sensitive, high, their antenna are high and looking around all the time and reading, mm-hmm. reading more than speaking. But when they do come to it, it's um, they're trying to meet that individual 
on the exact level. And you could just change 90 degrees and meet that person on that level and individually. So it's not like reaching the masses, you're reaching individuals in the crowd. Yeah. To communicate. Oh yeah. My dad, when I was younger, I I mean, he's probably going to laugh when he listens to this, but you know, and I'm sure he got it from someone, but he would say, you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that order. You know, and in, and in my shows where I am speaking, it is so important, though, you're listening, you're always listening and hearing people instead of just waiting for your next opportunity to talk. And if I use it out of order, I can't build because I'm not hearing them or feeling or seeing where they're at. And as dancer mode, I definitely can attest because in another world, I am a dancer and there it is. Yes, an entire world of <laughs> introverted extroverts. I would say I meet more extroverts in the acting community um in particular but in what we do absolutely introverted extroverts are a very very common but you have a you have a similar experience you were a theater major but you also have right correct and Mm -hmm. you have experience in dance as well and minor did you minor i actually double majored i was a major in theater and in dance yeah but but, i mean no we we my alma mater is the same as yours in undergrad Mm -hmm. and like you go from the theater building in which people are just throwing their voices at you. Yes. And then you go to the dance building and it's a library. And yeah. like, I, it's so vastly different. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes like, what actually is communication? How, how do you actually meet people? Do you mm-hmm. have to throw your voice at somebody? Do you have to only physically express yourself? No, it's actually it can be quite both. <laughs> yeah. And that's speaking to kind of the two things that stood out to me in both of your guys' thoughts there, being that either touch potentially more in the wheelhouse of a dancer, um, or at least in a different way, and then eye contact and very, very direct and intentional verbal communication. Those Mm -hmm. are two things that function from the way that you guys are explaining it in very similar ways to just kind of immediately access someone, break through a shell, meet someone where they're at. And so you have these two tools that are very, very different in execution, but very similar in the end result. Mm -hmm. So speaking to guests of immersive shows and even potentially people who might not be super familiar with or experienced in participating as a guest in immersive shows you Mm -hmm. um amber you mentioned people will get nervous and then they drink to try and combat that and then that can create a whole different set of issues like barring alcohol as a immersive audience's uh go-to tool of choice like what would you guys both say two guests who might be going into an immersive experience a little bit nervous. Is there anything that comes to mind insofar as, okay, what can you do to kind of prepare yourself to be present in that world? Choose the right people to go on an adventure with. You know, if you go on a trip, if you go to a concert, if you go on any adventure in life, if you choose the wrong people, it really alters the experience for you. I think sometimes when people are nervous to try something, If they choose to go with people they want to impress, if they choose to go with people who are scared innately as well, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people to experience an environment with. And I think if, especially if it's new for you, you want to choose someone you feel comfortable trying something new around. I mean, if would you go on any other journey with this person 
or people that you might trip a little or feel like you're falling, even though you're not, because we won't let that happen. I think that it's not necessarily the best first date option. Oh my God, no. Um, <laughs> because the point, the point is to actually go somewhere else in a very personal journey, personal experience, personal, you know, um, we don't need to get that hippy dippy about it, but if you mm-hmm. go there, with the purpose, like you said, to impress somebody else, it is really not the venue to set you up for the most success. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely say make it a night about you discovering something new for yourself and with your friends. And it's, I would say friends, family, you know, maybe somebody you've been dating for a while, sure. Um, But just as long as you feel comfortable being your most organic self in front of them, then they're the right people to take on the journey with you. It's interesting to me that your respective shows slash performance experience being so very different, you again have that commonality of being like, hey, just be okay with this kind of being about you a little bit. I mean, I I like to think of it as, do you want to go to the movie theater with somebody who's going to talk to you through the whole movie? Mm -hmm. You know, like probably not. Um, So go see this show with the intention of, let me just enjoy this privately and we can talk about it afterwards. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be more beneficial to both parties, assuming you've come with a couple, you know, but everybody involved, if you come and just like chat the entire time, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to see anything consecutively. So speaking to the experience of everybody inside, moving away from the guests to you guys, what a performer gets out of, Performing a stage show, I can imagine, is a lot different from what a performer gets from the experience a performer has inside of an immersive show. What what are your guys' favorite parts of being the one holding the reins to some degree or just being in that position as a performer? Um, I, I think as... <laughs> I know, right? Some beautiful questions, but it's like, oh God. Um, okay, how do I narrow this down? Um, <laughs> I I think as artists, our souls are set on fire by the idea that we are getting someone to feel, to believe, to thrive, to live. Um, we like to create such life in people, and we spend our livelihoods finding a way to create that, and. One of my favorite things about immersive theater is I get to lock eyes with the person as it lands on them. In other forms of entertainment, be it performing on stage with dance or with theater or doing film work. Um, and, you know, one of my times in New York when I was on stage, I got to hear afterwards and hear their reaction, but I never got to see it happen. And it's so amazing to watch someone have that moment. Um, it's very... I, I don't know. It's 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 very beautiful um, watching someone believe in themselves for the first time and try something or watch someone be uncomfortable and figure out they can do it or watch someone think about what you're currently creating is really cool. Yeah. And sort of uh, piggybacking off of like hearing people's experience after the fact, um, you know, performance can be quite abstract and confusing. And to have people come together and feel confident enough to connect the gaps in their mind or connect the gaps in the narrative and uh, feel confident in saying that and sharing that and having in this type of work, having that moment 
that clicks them into like, oh God, this is cool. This is new. This is different. Somebody's looking me directly in the eye and they're giving me the entirety of this moment to tell me to make you feel that uh, the audience person, that they are the, the subject of the play, yeah. the subject of the narrative. Yeah, it's, it's mind boggling. And as I said before, like I, I love getting the sort of the people that don't enjoy theater. And by the end of the scene, if they're into it, it's, it's so satisfying. And, and through any mode that they have, you know, wh- whether it's, I don't want to give too much. Uh, it's too much about sleep no more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I think that's part, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's part of the beauty of being a part of one of those shows, right? Um, I, I love that I can only say so much. It's so fun. It's like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the experience that you're going to have. So that's why we don't say too much. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. And as a viewer, why do you need to put it into words for other people to understand? I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. of course, we're, we're trying to find more language around it, but there's also something magical, interesting, um, academic about letting it just be what it was. And Mm -hmm sitting with that as a metaphor as as poetry as as something more abstract that we do have words for versus like putting it into like oh this happened then this happened then this happened but that's not the same for everyone's experience involved in it yeah there's a really incredible magic in just letting something stay indescribable Mm -hmm. that exact concept is something that kept echoing through through my mind uh, actually having gone to sleep no more for the first time. I was sitting there like after the show trying to like scribble down notes. Obviously I, I wasn't able to write about the specifics of the show, but trying to like capture it in abstract. And I eventually just stopped and I was like, no, no, this deserves to stay as truly undescribable as it is. Feelings are almost more, po- not almost feelings are more powerful than words. And when you start trying to put it into those words, sometimes you are lessening exactly what just happened because you are saying, well, it fits within these words when it doesn't. <laughs> no, no, it does so, not. I, I like to like pose, like what's the power of ambiguity in that if the performer is super clear and if the direction of the show is super clear, there is a sort of power given to the viewer of you can feel many ways about this. And the fact of your individual arc is uniquely your own. And so the ambiguity, like you don't need to express it to somebody else because just invite them to see it. They'll have a completely different mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And so much of any storyteller's job, whether you are performing that story or writing that story or just any role that you might have in it is removing ambiguity. You're there to go through and express with enough clarity for people to hang on to and to resonate with a thing that's happening, a procession of events in some kind of fictional or potentially non-fictional world. But really, I mean, it's the whole music is the space between the notes. That ambiguity is truly the magic of any narrative, especially when it's lived. Mm-hmm. Beautiful analogy. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Man, <laughs> isn't that the most tricky thing, trying to figure out how to capture that and make space for that. Yeah. I mean, I think that word ambiguity is so um, spoken poorly upon in the performance, you know, realm. Um, And I'm trying to reclaim it right now. And it's, it's not for the fact of like, 
I think performers definitely need to know what you're doing, what you're communicating, as I said before, and the directors, but also like, what is the space, as you said, between the notes that allow people to meet you halfway? And that's where the performance um, immersive experience happens is not just you shouting at somebody or playing Mm -hmm. your instrument at somebody. It is, you have to meet them halfway in order for it to exist. It's responding off of each other. Right. Conversational in a way. Mm -hmm. So speaking to the fact that both kind of express that some of your favorite parts of being an immersive performer is that moment of connection or that moment where you could tell that someone just stepped into a new world and that you were able to bring them to that point. Um, Are there any specific stories that come to mind in that vein of someone going through that transition or someone explaining it after the fact? Because Eric, in your case, I know you can't articulate the moment itself. Um, But are there any specific instances where that has happened that you remember as a performer that kind of shine in your memory? Um, Yeah, I mean, I am continually humbled by a lot of the people that have seen me perform and um i never have i ever in my entire life thought i would say this but there is people have done some like drawings or fan art or come with some like sort of i I tend to give character names to my the people i play which are kind of unnamed but if they come with some sort of like this was powerful this is a little letter i've wrote from that thing um, and I'm just like, really? Like, I kind of just feel like I'm throwing this all at the wall and wow, it lands in some way. Mm, wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. I, mean, I, that, I sounds love so, that. that sounds so like, I don't know, like I'm trying to toot my own horn or speak myself up, but it really is humbling. Like this particular moment in a piece, like somebody will have done a drawing or something like that was meaningful to you at that time, because you brought your own experience and perhaps you're going through something at the time and this sort of resonated or contrasted or com- supported, communicated with blah, blah, blah. It's really powerful as a performer to be like, oh, people are out there getting the work and, um, you know, like being affected. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I wish that sometimes just every once in a while that an internal monologue was something that you could see because the entire time my brain's been like that show oh well that oh but there's this one oh but oh but so like to pick an example is it's it's hard um but i think right now the example that is just like pinging out for me is about a year ago i did a show for a teen birthday party and since then this has been one of my favorite experiences because they were not born before the cell phone (laughs) And I had this, uh, these parents who were not artists. It was a, it was a doctor and a teacher and they sat down with me afterwards and they wanted to just sit and talk. They couldn't help it. They're like, do you, do you have a little bit? And I was like, well, of course, of course I have time. And they wanted to talk about the experience and it was a unique set of eyes. Cause it wasn't their experience of them experiencing it themselves. It was watching their child and their friends experience it. And they said, you know, my daughter's creative. My daughter gets on Instagram. She's got these cool filters and she makes these cool videos and she's got a creative eye, but I've never seen my child create without fear of judgment. And that was really beautiful for me because as Eric said, I feel the same way. I'm constantly humbled by this job all the time. And I think it's 
for all artists out there, I think it's a beautiful thing to try at least once in your artistic endeavors, because I think it just is one of the most humbling types of performance I've ever been a part of to experience that, to be a part of that, to have created that, but to also have provided that as something that is needed. Children need to play without the fear of being judged. And all these kids, none of them were in the arts community. They were play, they were sports players, you know, they're, um, I don't know what team, something with a sports ball, but you know, it's like they were all athletes and academics and they hadn't tapped into that part of their life just yet, or they did not spend much time doing it. And then after that, having the kids come back in the house because they had gone out to take pictures or whatever, um, coming back in the house and wanting to talk to me about what I do for a living and really just like, so what is it like? Like, what's the craziest thing you've had happen to you at a show? Like, tell me about like, does everybody do it this way? And it was just so amazing watching their gears turn and what an artist can provide as a service for people and as an experience for people. It's a really neat show. Wow. Yeah, the weirdest things that have happened in the show. Right? I mean, that's, that's an episode among itself. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I was thinking that too when you were um, sharing yours. I was like, oh, man, we could we could make this a series. <laughs> <laughs> but that speaks to the power of the form. I think that, um, yes, sort of easing the tension, but also igniting, um, igniting, inviting the viewers to engage. And if, if anything, like in them daring them in a way, like I dare you to release what your day was today and, and come into this world and yeah. that can be quite cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least, it, it's hard to put that down. It's hard to feel like almost a responsible human being while at the same time being okay with putting that down, being able to bring someone to a place where they can do that, like that cathartic does i think is definitely the perfect word there <laughs> so on that note um i think that i just have one more question for you guys before we look at wrapping this up um though <laughs> eric if we can find a way for you to talk about the weird things that have happened inside of a show like <laughs> that would be an amazing series of episodes down the line oh my word Oh, I got stories. Stories. <laughs> yeah, it's like you do like you do a different series. It's like the G-rated stories, the the mm. wild and crazy rated R stories, the <laughs> weirdest guest stories. <laughs> right. We almost have to create oh. a separate podcast in and of itself for yes. adventures from the inside of the immersive sphere. So the last thing that I kind of wanted to get both of your thoughts on, actually stems almost directly from the last thing you were talking about there with um, actually both of you, but with the idea of people being able to be in a space without judgment, be in a place in both a tangible physical location, a social context, and in a headspace where they can kind of let go and um, be themselves or be somebody else. Oftentimes immersive is really good at giving people the chance to like try on a different identity for a little bit um, from the perspective of a guest. So I'm curious mm -hmm. as performers, like what is that conversation of identity like from your end? Do you, do you lose yourself in a character or what is it like to have a place that you can go where your identity, you get the chance to put on a different identity and not just perform in it, 
not just speak to people through it, but actually interact with it and have people interact with you while you're wearing that identity. What is what is that like? I, I hesitate to say lose yourself in the character because that's, in my opinion, quite irresponsible because the goal of the immersive experience is actually for the audience. And yeah. yes, have all of those like wonderful, juicy, amazing performance moments but you have to make sure that your audience is getting it because otherwise, again, you're just yelling into a void. So maybe not lose yourself then, but just being able to have a space where you can go to put on a different identity. As a performer or as a viewer? Um, as a performer, as a performer. I mean, um, I, just say, I just say, fuck it. Like, go for <laughs> it, dude. Like, I, I, nothing has ever been the same for me. And like, yeah. <sighs> yolo like fucking yolo yolo the hell out of it and try like everything's i'm trying to do this with what i have right now one of one of my favorite um my acting coach uh one of my favorite quotes from her is the burden of the actor is to forget and it is i mean like every single night you kind of have to like relive a thing again. Right. But in our job, it's really fun because it is different every single time. And just kind of trusting that like, you're going to respond and you're going to live in that moment differently than you did the night before. And I love what the concept of like, take a picture because exactly as Eric said, it is incredibly irresponsible to lose yourself in it because as an immersive entertainer, our job is to immerse. So if that is not at the forefront of what we're doing, then we are doing a disservice to people witnessing immersive work. So I love to take a picture and chat about it later. You know, in our little community, we have um, like a debrief time too. you know, post show where we're, it, it kind of organically happens often where it's like, what was your favorite thing that you did and you experienced in a show, but also what was your favorite thing to watch another actor experience? Some of my favorite moments are like watching a friend that I have done hundreds of shows with experience something almost like it's for the first time again because of the way an audience member did a thing <laughs> oh tell me about it yeah being in the you know? six years yeah. yeah right exactly exactly yeah I, I can't even imagine eric for you it is the same exact show i mean for us we have a series of different shows so i do have about 30 characters that i might be playing that particular week for you i'm sure you have found millions of different ways to experience something some one particular scene for the same time you know it, it doesn't feel the same ever again. really yeah oh, yeah but, but like you said like uh, an audience person could shift one little thing for example uh, easiest example is they take a prop away and then how you yep. still have to get from a to z and now yep. you don't have that and i mean yes. it, it, sounds basic but like okay this scene is actually 20 minutes you know so right like how, right. how do you achieve it it's amazing and the hilarious ups and the massively hilarious downs <laughs> are just i guess cool dressing room banter <laughs> yeah. as yeah exactly as like we were saying pre like formal podcast it is how i live my life um controlled chaos so <laughs> yeah yeah. You know? um, and we encourage them to create that chaos, but then we still have to solve it. Um, I mean, I know that's quite, you know, tribute to what I do for a living doing immersive mystery work, but you know, uh, it's a game and you're actually playing a game in character. And so there's two things happening at the same time. There's for me, actor Amber 
figuring out how to mini direct what's happening and let this experience live, but also kind of constantly, I, I like to call it positively manipulating what's happening around me because I'm not trying to like run your world. I'm just positively creating something for you and manipulating the situation, but also at the same time living in a character. So there's almost two, two people working simultaneously together. And now people listening are going to think I'm bipolar. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to hold that tension of two different perspectives at the same time whenever you're performing, whether it's in the context of performing in entertainment or in the context of performing like in a real life situation where you have, you know, the person who you're showing up to the meeting as, and then you have the person who is outside the meeting and thinking about that moment in a greater context. Yeah. So it's irresponsible to lose yourself into the identity of a character in the show makes complete sense. You are there to create immersion, not be immersed yourself in that moment. What about outside of the context of the show? Like, is there any, I don't know, for lack of better language, like identity leakage? Like, do you see the non-acting, non-performing you at all being informed by who you are in the show or who you have performed to be in a show? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, but there was, there was a time we can become quite vocal and it's sort of like gibberish language, which is very, um, exhilarating and sort of, uh, freeing if, if ever anyone wants to try it. But, uh, I have always been an avid sleep talker, sleepwalker. So I have gone through a couple of, <laughs> of things just related to the show and as far as like yelling in my sleep, et cetera. But also there's a way in which to like uh, move people aside for safety reasons. And that mm -hmm. doesn't jive on a New York city subway. Like you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yep. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. You and know, like, I don't know why you need to walk up the stairs playing your candy crush and <laughs> That will never, so, I never understand that. I, I don't know. I think my tendency, my tendency is to get out way. Right. Yeah. There is a little bit of natural selection with um, day to day life. Um, I had a, a party with a lot of celebrities at it and, and to not embarrass a celebrity at all. Um, but she is like an absolute A-lister. Um, you know, she was asking me like, oh, is this my time to achieve this goal? Because there's a you know, series of clues that we give out. And I was like, oh, absolutely. And then she takes her binder and whacks one of my actors over the head with it. <laughs> Just like, bam. And it's like, okay, oh, wait, I think we, um, there was a communication error. <laughs> I don't, uh -oh. <laughs> you know, oh, um, no. the goal is that she was a hit woman in disguise, but she didn't read the disguise part. <laughs> You know, um, I know that's not quite getting to the answer of where you were headed, Sky, but I think that it is such a journey in what we do constantly. So, Eric, I'm so sorry, but I at least have to ask because I, I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if I didn't. But these <laughs> these uh, gibberish vocal conjurings, is that something you might be able to share with us at the moment? <laughs> oh, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I mean, like, give you an example of what it might be. Yeah, if if you're if you're willing slash comfortable doing so. Uh, it's just out of context. No, no, I sorry. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Like I said, I at least yeah. had to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you for considering it. it, it feels, sure, sure. But the, the method is that like having a, a script and then like if you have these words, but put them in a very small, tight jar, but something has to come out, like what actually comes out? Is, mm. are those things and actually how much has to come out probably not that much because you as a performer have um probably a bunch like a lot of discipline to hold it down so what comes out is this this sort of language that is based on a need to communicate with someone um, it's almost I, I don't know if i'm hearing this right but it's like it's the overflow it's like there's so much happening inside you and what comes out is just the overflow of the emotion that's a great yeah just the overflow but then also like what if nobody wants to hear the overflow just your partner mm. your scene partner it's like i have this amount of overflow but nobody else can hear it except for my scene partner um fellow act actor performer in the scene yeah and so it's yeah it feels like the edge of a lot of diagrams you know mm. but i mean try it yell and gibberish in your rooms i it's so liberating that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can at least to some degree attest to that i uh i don't even know i feel like sometimes you find a situation where gibberish is just necessary i wish i've had been a part of more immersive shows but i believe that every single immersive show builds its own secret language within the context of the show that only your partners will ever understand <laughs> Words are not things. They are representations of things. And so every show, like you say, has their own language. Indeed. It's, yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, on that note, I want to first encourage all of our listeners to go home and try putting just a few too many words in a jar and seeing what comes out. <laughs> and... For you guys, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And of course, before we do close out here, where can people find your work respectively, either online or if they wanted to go see a show of some variety, where can people find you? Um, So American Immersion Theater is the umbrella company for who I spend majority of my time doing immersive work with. Um, That's kind of the umbrella for the actor. So if the actor listening, that's where you would find a lot of how to get connected with us. Um, If you're interested in being a customer, um, the Murder Mystery Company is our bread and butter. Uh, You can find us on Instagram. You can find us online. Luckily, the name is pretty easy to remember. And if you're interested in following me, I am on Instagram. My handle is Nicole, And I live life with a smile, a touch of adventure, and spontaneity. So feel free to follow my controlled chaos whenever you like. (laughs) I love that. That is fantastic. <laughs> sure. So I have a website with Boy Friday, which is um, boyfridaycompany.com. We're on Instagram as at boyfridayco, C-O. Uh, personally, I am on Instagram as at E-A main, Eric Abbott main, E-A main. Yeah. And of course... I don't really check Facebook anymore. So yeah, that's it. I don't have a motto, Amber. Oh, I don't, I don't either. It just came out of my mouth. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I totally I thought that that was my motto different every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there is one thing I'm kind of like a stumbling Glinda. I have always said that. So, I love you know, that. just stumbling, stumbling through life, but it's smiling so... and happy. 
true to real life, really. Yes, you've worked with me. You've danced with me. We're reaching for here, but this is where we're going. This is reality. (laughs) Just that smooth falling down the stairs type of motion. Yeah, but I do it gracefully. (laughs) You stand up at the end. Yeah, nailed it. Stuck the landing. (laughs) You might need a physical therapist afterwards, but you're good. All right. And for all of our listeners out there, of course, you can find all of the aforementioned links and references um, that we mentioned throughout the show in the show notes at immersionnation.com slash podcast. And of course, until next time, thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to this week's Immersive Community Briefing. Here, we update you on new shows, answer listener questions, and talk about what's happening out there in the world of immersive entertainment. This week, we're talking about the Virtual Being Summit, this immersive globe, and finally, the Underpresents Tempest. First up, the Virtual Being Summit is, as stated by the website, exploring the growing impact of next-gen avatars on social networks, commerce, and the arts, and is happening this Wednesday, July 15th, 2020, via Zoom. This event was conceived and created by the team at Fable Studios, We explore Fable Studios' work in depth in our interview with their co-founder, Pete Billington, which will be linked in the show notes. But, in short, Fable Studios is Oculus's former native content team, best known for their Emmy-winning VR experience, Wolves in the Walls. The summit interrogates the edge of technology attached to the inevitably growing presence of artificial characters in our lives. This is deeply fascinating stuff, and if you're curious but unable to attend, Pete Billington goes over a lot of this in a brilliant talk at MIT Media Lab, which, of course, I'll link in the show notes, along with the event page, ticket link, etc. Next, we have This Immersive Globe, an international networking event for the global immersive community, which by itself is great, but it gets better. The site goes on to say, This immersive globe is being hosted on a new platform where every guest gets an 8-bit avatar and is able to navigate a virtual map, jumping into speaker presentations, structured networking, town hall discussions, and one-on-one or group chats with other attendees. I think that is a perfect example of using limitations to inspire innovation. This immersive globe will be held in sessions every Sunday in August of 2020. I learned about this event via email list of the San Francisco-based Epic Immersive. Based on this, my guess is that Immersive Globe is the spiritual successor of 2019's New York Immersive Night, a lovely event hosted by Brooklyn's House of Yes and organized by Epic Immersive's Stephen Boyle. For you longtime listeners, you might recall this is where I connected with experienced designers Melinda Lau, Andrew Hoffner, and Ross Tippograph each of whom became guests on this show. That is to say, if this immersive globe is at all similar to New York Immersive Night, it will likely be a fantastic chance to meet some of the best immersive creators out there. And of course, website, tickets, aforementioned interviews will all be in the show notes. Finally, The Under Presents Tempest. Described by the New York Times as a technological first, a live, scripted, participatory play that you attend from home using a virtual reality headset. Whoa, let's unpack that a bit. 
First, The Under Presents is a stunningly unique virtual reality game by Tenderclaws. What makes it so unique is the fact that in this game, live actors can take control of a typically automated non-player character and whisk away small groups of players to experience unique scenes and worlds that can only be accessed when a player is with an actor. Tenderclaws is now using this world as a platform to host their version of Shakespeare's Tempest. This is virtual immersive theater and is the exact brand of experimental that the immersive community has come to expect from Tenderclaws. I'll link the aforementioned New York Times article, which is a great read, along with everything else. If you have any questions, comments, fresh perspectives about today's interview or anything we just covered in the immersive community brief, I personally respond to all DMs that go to Immersion Nation's Instagram, and I'm always happy to chat. Also, feel free to shoot me an email at editor at immersionnation.com if that's easier for you. That about does it for this week. So, for all of you listening, stay well, stay curious, and thank you for joining us on this adventure.